How many of you did a plus one this week? Yeah, yeah, really, really, really. Okay, wait, show me again one more time. A plus one. Good. Amazing, amazing. Uh, Jamie and Zoe did a plus one. Your plus one was coming to Awaken for the first time ever this past week. They showed up and she walked in with a big old smile and she was like, this is my plus one. And I'm like, yes, amazing. That's so awesome. Incremental steps of progress and determination, faith, commitment, and reach. So that's awesome. Thank you guys for doing a plus one. I can't wait to check in next week. If you didn't do a plus one this week, it's okay. There are more days next week. You can do a plus one. Uh, Carrie and I did a plus one. Uh, we invited a man to church yesterday. Um, I remember his name, but I don't, where's he from? Nicaragua? Guatemala. I knew it was something like that. Uh, Guatemala. His family has a farm and he, we bought honey from him. It is literally the best honey I think I've ever eaten. Um, anyway, I was hoping he was coming today and maybe he would bring us honey, but uh, he's not here, so we'll pray for Carlos that he comes. Um, I feel a little burdened, and I have for some number of weeks uh, for different reasons that we'll get into throughout this sermon. Uh, but today is part two of Gifted, and the title of my sermon is The Road, Gifts, Travel. The Road, Gifts, Travel. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is among us today. God, I ask that you would just let your word come alive to our hearts. Father, I ask that you would give me the words to speak, that you would uh, anoint our ears to hear the word, anoint our eyes to see what you're doing in the room. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen. Amen. I, so back to this burden that I'm carrying. Have you ever... Have you ever carried a burden and it's just really hard to articulate? Like you feel it and you're working it out and you're wrestling with God on it, but to share it with someone, it's like it doesn't it may not make a whole lot of sense to you. Well, this is kind of my attempt at sharing with you what I've been wrestling with for a number of weeks. And uh, that is this whole notion of a biblical worldview. Uh, I think I was I was shocked a few weeks ago, perplexed, discouraged uh, to read the recent study by George Barna. And uh, that study came out and, and told us, and I read a study a year and a half ago that was discouraging, but the trends are going down. This new study by George Barna shows that only 37, that's a three and a seven, only 37% of pastors hold a biblical worldview. Can you imagine that? One out of every three pastors don't even have a biblical worldview. Three out of ten pastors don't have a... No, 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 no. My math is messed up. Two out of three don't have a worldview. Out of 10 pastors in a room, 10 pastors walk into a church. Seven of them are on their way to hell. 
sounds, well, that's my youth pastor that laughed, so <laughs> understandable. <laughs> Speaking of youth pastors, the number drops to 18%. Ten youth pastors walk into a room. Eight of them are on their way to hell. Executive pastors. Executive, pa- I don't know if you know the, the term for what an executive pastor is. An executive pastor, we don't actually have an executive pastor that just functions in, as that. Sherry fills that role. Sherry Bro fills that role for us. The executive pastor runs the business side of the church. You know, making sure uh, finances are in order, um, handling insurance, all of, all of the business stuff. Did you know that the study shows only 4% of executive pastors have a biblical worldview? 13% of teaching pastors, pastors that maybe they're not the senior pastor, they're not the youth pastor, they're not the executive pastor, but on any given Sunday they may be up in a pulpit preaching in America only 13% of teaching pastors hold a biblical worldview. I don't know if we, I don't know where we went wrong. Where it became optional to have a biblical worldview. I mean, I understand there are multiple worldviews out there, right? Grace to anyone that has a different worldview than a biblical one. But if you sign up for ministry, don't you think maybe... Just maybe you should hold a biblical worldview. So I've wrestled with that. And I've also done a lot of introspection. I've done a lot of prayer. Um, I've checked my motives. I've checked my heart. I've checked my theology. Um, Because it burdens me enough to see those stats roll in that what I don't want to happen is for me to have a blind spot. That I valued something other than a biblical worldview. Does that does that make sense? I I guarantee you this, you know, 37% pastors that hold a biblical worldview, the other portion of that, those people are not intentionally trying to go against God's word. I really believe, and maybe that's my mercy gift coming out, you know. I'm very hesitant to call anyone a wolf. Very hesitant to do that. I I like to give them the benefit of the doubt and think, oh, life has gotten in the way. Their emotions have gotten in the way. Their their hopes for humanity has gotten in the way, you know? I doubt that no one set out to be a pastor saying, I'm not going to hold a biblical worldview. I'm just going to see what grows attendance, or I'm going to see what feels good, or I'm going to see what makes me money. Like, I don't know any pastors that went into the ministry, but somewhere along the way, we've lost it. And I hope you're holding me accountable to the word. You see, I'm responsible and accountable to God to preach you the truth, but you know what you're accountable for? to make sure you're receiving from someone preaching the truth. You don't get to show up to heaven and and he questioned you on why did you sit under that pastor? Why did you watch that YouTube channel? Why did you listen to that preaching? You don't get to say, well, I just thought he was right. 
I'm sorry. You're accountable for what you allow to enter into your spirit. So I'm wrestling with that. Be glad you've got a pastor that wrestles with these kinds of things. I may not always be right, but I am certainly trying to seek the Lord diligently in all that I teach and all that I do. So that's what I'm wrestling with. Just so you know, if you want to know how to pray for me, just pray that God will continue to continue to shore up my faith, um, continue to encourage me in, in the gospel of Jesus. You don't need to pray that I win influence with you or more people. I've got enough people that love me. I've got enough people that hate me. I, I don't really care so much. I mean, I care about people. Trust me, I, that, I wouldn't be a pastor if I didn't care about people. But I'm just at the season of my life and the stage of the game, and my heart is just before the Lord to where I understand I have an audience of one. So I got to preach the truth whether you like it or not. I mean, I, I hate to offend you. I try not to offend you. If I got to say something difficult, I'd rather tell you across the table while we have coffee than from a pulpit and, and hope that you don't get to say anything back. I at least give you the common courtesy of having hard conversations one-on-one. -on -one. I try. But I still got to preach the truth. I still have to hold up a worldview because we know that in the last days, a great deception is going to sweep the land. And if we don't allow ourselves to come up under the truth of the word of God, we'll be swept away with the deception. So I was, I was in a conversation with someone this weekend, yesterday actually, and it was a debate. I like debating people on theological stuff just for fun. Um, not that I'm like an online troll, you know, those kind of debates, but like an intellectual debate. And I was talking with someone about actually the text that I'm preaching on today. And um, this person, this person believed that the gifts, you know, we're in a series gifted. This person believes that he's what we would call a cessationalist. He believes that the gifts no longer are in operation today. And I was trying to prove why he was wrong to him. And he was trying to prove why I was wrong. And it was, or it was actually a she. Um, and it was a fine conversation, respectful and all of that. But it just really kind of, I was getting, you ever like try to prove your point And the more you, you're trying to prove your point, you just, your, your blood starts boiling and you're not really mad at them but you really wish they'd listen. <laughs> Anybody, or is that just me? It's like, I want to call it a righteous anger, but I'm not sure that that's true. Um, like, I'm not really mad at, at her. I just, I just want her, she just needs to listen to me. Because I'm telling the truth here. But, you know, I went back to my notes and, even throughout the evening, I was a bit riled up, you know, and I, 
I was t- telling my wife about the conversation, and she was like, ooh, good reply. What'd she say? Did she reply yet? And I'm like, no, but I'm ready. And um, it, was, it was a good, healthy, it really was a healthy conversation. It was not one of this junk you see on social media. It was just fun, good talk about the theology. Uh, but the way that I settled myself was just to remind myself that the gifts is kind of an open-hand thing. A biblical worldview is closed fist. A biblical worldview will send me to hell if I don't have it. But if I don't believe in the gifts, I'm still going to see her in heaven. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're going to get to heaven, and I don't know who, who it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be Michael, and I'm going to be like, Michael, will you please tell this woman? Please tell her she was wrong. Do you know what I mean? She's still my sister. We're still going to, she's going to catch the first train up there just like I am. I mean, we're going to see each other in heaven. That's an open-handed thing. You know, sometimes we die on hills instead of dying on the mountains. Unity erodes in the church because we get so wrapped up in our own little belief system and our theological framework But yet, when the big stuff matters, the biblical worldview, we say nothing. What is a biblical worldview? I'm glad that you asked. You can write this down if you want. It's it's not on the screen, but it would sound to you, since you've been a part of this church for a while, this would just sound like common sense, all right? That's because you have a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is that God is all-knowing. You believe that God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's a creator of the universe, and he still rules it today. All right, that's number one. Number two, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. He wasn't just a good prophet. That's actually not an option. Some people think, well, he was just a good prophet, but that's not an option. Either he was the son of God or he was certifiably insane. He himself said that he was the son of God. He said he was the I am. So either he's telling the truth and he really is, or he's crazy. He's not a good prophet. A good prophet's not even an option on the table. So that's number two of a biblical worldview. If you don't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, you're not on your way to heaven. That was a harsh sentence, but I figured if I said it smiling, it would go down a little easier. (laughs) You're going to go to hell. (laughs) The third thing about biblical worldview... (laughs) is absolute moral truth exists and is defined by the Bible. That is a biblical world view. It's not a political stance. There is absolute moral truth. It exists. It's not based on your experience. It's not based on your childhood wounds. It's not based on culture. It's not based on perspective. Morality exists because there is a God in heaven who is the standard for morality. 
That's the third. The fourth, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. If you believe that Jesus sinned while he was here, that's actually not a biblical worldview. All right? Number five, salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot bribe your way to heaven. You cannot serve and tithe and check in your way to heaven. Salvation is a free gift. And that's good news for you because you couldn't afford it anyway. The sixth one in a biblical worldview. This actually is not my sermon, but I just, I'm just rolling with it. Is that all right? I think it's good. I think it's good. Feels right. Satan is real, and hell is a literal place. You're not living in hell, though it may feel like it sometimes, and especially this week in Texas. Hell is a literal place. And I know some people say, Pastor, how could a good God let people go to a place like hell? My question is, how could a holy God allow someone like me to live forever with him? That's the question we should be asking. How has he made a way for us to be in community with him forever? And all it took was a yes, a yes. That's all it took. But hell is very real. You will live somewhere forever. Number seven, a Christian has a responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people. That is a biblical world view. And number eight, the last one. The Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. It is completely inspired by God in both its writing and compilation. It is infallible. It is without error. If you believe in a Bible that has been manipulated, (laughs) I couldn't say that with a straight face, but people really believe that God somehow has allowed his word to be manipulated by big scary men. If the creator of all things was able to breathe this into existence in the hearts of men, do you not think that he could sustain it throughout generations so that you and I could have a preserved copy of his breath? It's the enemy's job to get you to question the authority of this, because if you can question the authority of this, you can make up your own God. You can create God in your image instead of him being, you being created in his This is a biblical worldview to say the Bible is infallible without error and it has not changed. So I probably should get to my topic of gifts. And it has so much to do with the biblical worldview. The gifts that we carry, the gifts that we ask the Lord for have so much to do with the biblical worldview. Worldview. Last week in the sermon, the power of one, we agreed that there are many parts but one body. Do you remember talking about that? Many parts, one body. It matters when you're here, it matters when you're absent.
because you matter in the body. I can't do your role in the body and you can't do mine. Last week I said that gifts flow from a renewed mind and relational health. I said that gifts are an extension of God, not an extension of us. I said that gifts build the body. Now, I want to talk to you for the next few minutes about the road trip that gifts take. You see, gifts need at least, there's more, but they need at least four things to really flourish. The gifts that you carry, the gifts that you hold, the gifts that you operate in need at least four things to really flourish. They need faith, hope, love, and wisdom. The gift that you carry. What is a gift? We talked a little bit in our text last week. Um, there, there are many gifts. The Lord gives so many different gifts to, to us, and it's always to build the body. So there's, there are gifts of prophecy, gifts of mercy, gifts of giving, gifts of helps, hospitality, gifts of what? Tongues, interpretation, gifts of, am I missing some? Tell me. Healing. Oh, that's a good, who said healing? Oh, that's one of my favorite. Healings, yes. Good. Who, what, anyone else? Encouragement, yes. So many gifts that the body uses to build the body. But those gifts are not an extension of you. You don't get to encourage people because you've got such a lovely heart. Do you know what I mean? A gift of encouragement is this ability where Holy Spirit comes upon you and that encouragement goes further than your own mind could think of. All of us can give in the offering today, but some of us have a gift of giving where it's like hilarious generosity where God empowers that gift and, and you think to yourself, I don't know how to do this or how God's going to make a way, but I just sense that I've got to give this amount of money or this amount of time or, or give this, whatever the giving is. And the Holy Spirit breathes on that gift and there's just like this extra touch on your life. I, I would love to have the gift of giving. Maybe I do. Maybe I just need to stretch it a little bit more. I, I would love to have all the gifts. I've got a handful, but... Stephen, it's not really important if I have all the gifts because I've got you. Now I am preaching. Because some of you are wondering, what gift do I have? You've got them all. Because you've got us. That's what the body of Christ is all about. I don't have to worry if I've got the gift of healing. Someone in here does. Let's start a line. Figure out who it is. Okay, you, you pray for that wart. You, you pray for that wart. Uh, you pray. Oh, the wart's gone. All right, you come here. Pray for that IBS. No, I, don't know who has, I don't know who has what gift, but I know that together we've got them all. Because the body needs all the gifts to function. Your gift may be dormant. You may not know that you have it, but you got something that this body needs. So let me paint a picture for you. And I may need to end here. This, this will help you understand, I think, the gist of where I want to take you today. Let's pretend that you and I are going on a road trip. 
We're at home. We've cleaned the house before we go so that we, when we get back, the house is clean. Does anyone else do that? That's part of your vacation. <laughs> I see. I just saw a family say, no. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> I, won't, I won't call Dana out. <laughs> uh, so that made me laugh. Well, we do. We clean. Now, if we don't get a chance to, our trip has already started off bad because we're already dreading getting home to that mess. So we try to pack and clean. But things happen sometimes, Dana. I understand. We don't always get what we like. We're at home. We pack our car. All the luggage is in the car. And we're going on vacation. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? The beach. Everybody want to go to the beach? Okay, not everyone, but mountains, a beach in the mountains, yes, I want to see that beach, that's definitely going to be in heaven, somehow, some way, a beach in the mountains, the best of both worlds, all right, so we are in our car, we're driving to the the beach in the mountains, and it's 60 miles away, okay, 60 miles, why are we there yet? You sound like someone I know. Now, there's a difference. I want to make sure that we understand something. I said last week there was a comment or two that I made, and I need to dig down and make sure that's solidified in your hearts today um, before I proceed with our road trip. Um, there is a difference between gifts of the Spirit and fruits of the Spirit. Okay? We need to understand that, that those are different. I made the comment last week, and it bears repeating. You can't tell how close someone is to Jesus based on the gifts that they carry. Someone may prophesy with such eloquence. Someone may heal every disease in a 30-mile radius. Someone may speak in tongues the loudest. Somebody may do all of the gifts, and that has no bearing on how intimate they are with Jesus. Because the gift is not about the person. The gift is about the giver. So be careful and don't get too enamored when you see someone with showy and flashy gifts because that that really doesn't, that just points to how good God is. It says nothing about the integrity of the person. It says nothing about the, did I just say integrity? Character of the person. It says nothing about the marriage of the person or the parenting of the person or how much time they spend in Bible study or how much time they spend on their face before the Lord. Their gifts say nothing about that stuff. But gifts are important. But don't put too much stock in the gift. What you possibly should look at is the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is an indicator of how intimate we are with Jesus. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 24 tells us exactly what the fruit is. Okay, so let me pull out the fruit so you know where that's going to go on our road trip. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now the works 
of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's interesting to me that there's a whole bunch of don'ts and then the do's, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That means there, there's nothing on the books that can be thrown at you for being too kind. You won't have to stand before a judge because you've been too gentle. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's nothing against that. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Okay, so we're going to pack fruit on our road trip. But everybody gets fruit, all of you. We're going to get it from the house. We're going to put it in the car. You all get fruit because the fruit will sustain us on the drive to the vacation spot, okay? We all need the banana, the apples, the oranges. Fruit is common to all believers. Every believer should have and be working on every fruit that's listed in Galatians 5, 23. This is not a situation where you say, I don't need to be kind because he is. I don't need to be patient because she is. The fruit of the Spirit, you should possess all of them, even if in small doses, small quantities. If it's a flicker of a flame and Holy Spirit breathes on it to grow it, that's okay. But you should possess all of them and your heart should be open to Holy Spirit growing all of them because we need all the fruit of the Spirit. Gifts, on the other hand, you don't need them all. But you can choose the ones you like. You can pray for the ones you think are the coolest. Okay, we're at home. Let's just call home fruit of the Spirit. All right, you live at fruit of the Spirit. Um, and you're going to take some fruit with you for the drive. But where you rest and where you, where, where you sleep and where you live, that's fruit of the Spirit. The beach in the mountains, our destination, is also our fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, all right? There's the fruit of the Spirit over there. There's the fruit of the Spirit over here. And we're taking a trip from point A to point B, all right? We're taking also, though, fruit with us because we can never really be without our fruit. So we live in it here. We're going to be on the road here we take fruit with us, and here to here is the road of our gifts. The road trip of our gifts. Because our gift should always flow out of the fruit and circle back to and increase our fruit. 
Our gift is never about growing our name, growing our pocketbook, growing whatever it is that we're chasing and running after. Our gifts are always about growing the body and growing the fruit in our life. All right? So we get in the car, we've got our fruit, we've got our luggage, you've got something to read if you're not driving, and uh, you put fuel in the car. What, what's the fuel? The, the fuel in the car? Oh, fruit. <laughs> fruit also fuels the car. The fruit of the Spirit fuels the gifts of the Spirit. Do you see how important fruit is? We can't get them mixed up. We can't not work on love because we prophesy. Our gift is in the car. Your gift, the thing, whatever it is that the Lord has given you, it's, it's in the car on this road trip. In fact, maybe it's a brand new gift. You can put a little baby on board sticker on your car. Okay, It's a, it's a baby gift. It's not a mature gift. It doesn't matter. Your gift is inside the car. Um, the car itself is grace. You can't have a gift without grace. What is grace, Pastor? I thought grace was just God like kind of forgetting all the stuff you do wrong. That's not actually what grace is. Grace is a transformative quality of God. Grace took you from sinner to saint. Grace moved you from death to life. Grace moves you from non-prophetic to prophetic. Non-healing to healing. Non-prayer warrior to prayer warrior. That is the grace of God, grace applied to your life that imparts gifts. Does this make sense to you? I'm trying, I'm trying to wrap a framework here. The car is grace. We are graced to lead. We are graced to prophesy. We are graced to show hospitality, to show mercy. And then the road that we're traveling on, that's faith. Faith. Our gift travels on faith. Without the road, there would be no car. Without faith, there would be no grace. Without grace, there would be no gift. Do you see how they're all linked? Then uh, let's say you're driving and you saw that it was 60 miles to the beach in the mountain. Then you see it's 30 miles to the beach, to the mountain. And it's a, what do they call that? A destination sign or a distance sign? The destination sign is hope. You need hope when you're carrying your gift. You need hope that God is growing you in that gift, that God is using that gift for a purpose. How many of you have been carrying that gift and you have been wondering when the exit sign is for that destination? <laughs> right? The, the distance sign gives us hope. We need to keep hope alive in our heart whenever we're carrying a gift. Then there are speed limit signs. I know some of you don't pay any attention to the speed limit signs, but the speed limit sign on our trip is wisdom. We want to know how to use our gift, pay attention to the speed limit signs. And then the guardrails or the curbs, the boundaries of the lane is love. Anybody ever seen people use a gift off-roading? Use a gift without love. Go ahead, Julie. 
Maybe you've, maybe you've seen the guy standing on the street corner yelling from a megaphone, repent, repent. Maybe he says, you're going to hell with a smile and a scream and a megaphone. He may have a gift of evangelism, but is he operating in love? Or is he off-roading? My goal over the next couple of weeks for you is to unpack the different gifts that God may have planted inside of you. But I didn't want to jump onto the sideshow of all these gifts and the excitement of the gifts without you understanding that there's a responsibility you carry with gifts. A maturity that needs to be engaged with gifts. Faith, love, hope, and wisdom. And we're going to talk about those in the next few weeks. Will you stand to me? Stand. Don't stand to me. Stand. Just stand. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I come before you today. I thank you. God, I thank you that you have dispersed gifts in the room. You are a good God who gives good, good gifts. God, I thank you that as we step into the authority and the power to operate into the gifts that you've given to us, the many gifts that are represented in this room, God, that you would let us feel the weight of that. In a world that no longer has a biblical worldview, that we could step out with the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit with responsibility, with integrity, with faith, love, hope, and wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.